Welcome to the overanalyzers. Perfect. <laughs> I already forgot what the next that's part is. That's not even, that's the rehearsed part. All right. <laughs> the next Welcome part to is the overanalyzers. <laughs> what? The next part's your name? Right. Okay. Welcome to the overanalyzers. I'm Dan. I'm a concept artist and illustrator. I'm Mike. I'm a software engineer. We are a weekly podcast, and this week we'll be talking about feedback and how some things are easier to learn than others and whatever other random things we come up with. Uh, but first, we're going to take a shot. Oh, cheers. Ooh. Too big. Um, all right. To kick us off. Have you ever seen or heard of or played the game Beat Saber? Yes. You to which one? He, he, <laughs> All of them. Yeah. Okay. My, so my friend it. had it and I went to his house and, and played it for a while. All right. Ago. Perfect. I've probably well let me describe the game, because I don't think most people have probably played this. So this is a virtual reality game. Right. So you are wearing a VR headset, so you don't see the world around you. You're inside the Beat Saber world. And in reality, in each hand, you have a motion tracked controller, but what you see is that in each hand, you have a lightsaber. There's a red lightsaber in your left hand, a blue lightsaber in your right hand. You're standing in this dark, kind of bluish lit auditorium type of thing on a platform. Music starts to play, and then these blocks start moving towards you. And the whole game, all you have to do is slice the blocks with your lightsabers. You got But it's like, it's really intense. It's and there's like really cool music playing. <laughs> right. So the, the blocks are coming in time with the music. There's there's red blocks and blue blocks, and you have to slice the red blocks with your red saber, the blue blocks with your blue saber. And there's a little arrow in the blocks, so you have to slice them in the right direction. And it's, you know, in sync to the music. So it kind of feels like you're dancing here. And this this game, I would say that it's very fun, but that's not even the right word for it. I remember when I first started playing it. And I, I just got a VR system. And it was so fun that I just couldn't stop playing it, even though I was in agonizing pain from just flailing my arms around for hours on end frantically. Like, it's so fun that I got injured because I just couldn't stop. It's an amazing game. It's, it is really fun. Yeah. But here's why it's interesting and why I wanted to bring it up. I've probably put somewhere around 200 hours in this game. I've taught along with, you know, my partner, Sam, and we've had people over. There's probably been at least 20 people or more that have come over and we've shown this game to and I've taught them, you know, how to play it. And I've never seen anything, not a sport, not a game, nothing. And I've been a tennis coach. I've played lots of sports, wakeboarding, windsurfing, soccer, everything. I've never seen anything that people would get so good at so quickly I, I mean music is very difficult it takes a long time to get good at it but people you put them in this game and at first everything is totally overwhelming they don't really know what's going on and within hours i mean you're trying to get them to go home and they they love this game and they progress so fast at this game and it's it's kind of mind-blowing how quickly people get good uh, and I've, I've been trying to figure out why and try to think about why and how other games or other things, like let's say wakeboarding or playing an instrument, it's really hard to get good at. You can't just give that to a person and say, here's a guitar, get good at playing a guitar. You have, like you usually give them guidance and they have to do a lot of analysis and there's a lot of these really tricky things to figure out. So that's what I've been wondering at is, is why that would be. <laughs> So do you have any theories on that? Well, I imagine you're going to say something along the lines of it gives you very quick, direct feedback. I, I don't know. I feel like you should just go ahead and answer. <laughs> all right, all right, fine. Um, so that's at least a major part of it, is that I think about a game like StarCraft that I've been playing and how one of the most frustrating and difficult things about the game is that you can do something something at the, the, in the first minute of the game that has no visible effect. You know, like, oh, you forgot to make some workers or you didn't, you got supply blocked. And you don't really notice anything bad happening until 10 minutes later, you lose. 
and there's no clear link between this thing that you did in the first minute of the game and you losing the game 10 minutes in. And I, I've coached people a handful of times, like new players, trying to help them out. And this is almost always the case. I'll watch them play a game where they do a bunch of stupid stuff in the first minute, have no idea that it's even stupid stuff because there's nothing to tell them that. And then 10 minutes later, they take their army, they go fight the opponent's army, they lose and they go, ah, oh, I should have built a different unit, right? Or ah, I should have should have cast this spell. And the answer is, nope, none of that mattered at all. You messed up way back when doing all these things you didn't even know were wrong. And you have to try and get the person to understand why this stuff actually caused this result, you know, much, much later. Whereas a game like Beat Saber, none of that. When I say I teach somebody the game, I put them in, explain, here's the thing that you do, it takes 30 seconds, and then they just do it. And they play a song that's at the, about the right difficulty, and then they go to the next song that's a little bit harder, and then all the way up to crazy songs where there's a million notes a second. Uh, and that, I think, is the difference. And that with Beat Saber, the feedback between you taking an action, or the, the distance from you making an action to the feedback that you get for it, and in that case, it's you swinging a lightsaber at this virtual block and either slicing through it or not uh, is incredibly tight. You immediately, instantly know if you did the right thing or not. Whereas a game like StarCraft is almost exactly the opposite. Virtually anything you do doesn't affect you until much, much later, and there's no clear connection at all. Yeah. Well, I was trying to, like, categorize types of feedback and I didn't get very far and I'm not real proud of anything I found but I was, I was thinking like there's like single action feedback where you touch a stove instantly you know, I had that same action. example on my notes and yeah well I guess it's a pretty cliche example yeah, yeah. but but then there, there's a little bit more like something like Beat Saber that includes a, a couple actions but it's it's basically one I mean you swing for a block but you have to worry about timing and sure. speed you know stuff like that but it's maybe three actions or you know roughly but then there's things like say starcraft or any type of game or lots of other things where you have to do this huge string of actions mm -hmm. before you know if it was correct or not and those are much more uh, complex and and harder to gauge right. on whether they were right or wrong actually i was thinking of it in terms of time like the the literal amount of time between you taking an action and finding out the result but i hadn't yeah. really thought about it that way and i think you're right that sometimes you you do multiple actions and you don't necessarily know which one or which aspect of the thing you did is causing a good or bad result so it can be difficult to change your actions or get like apply the feedback to what you're doing if you're doing multiple things and it's not always a super clear link between thing you do and the result that it gives you yeah okay okay one other thing i was thinking about i don't know why i was thinking this but imagine like a, a runner that's trying to break the world record on some race and say they have to run the whole race in one hour okay i don't know how long so they have to run this whole race in one hour and they, they've run almost the whole thing all they have to do is turn this corner and run to the finish line. So they turn the corner, they give it all they got, they get to the finish line, and it's one hour and one second. Okay. And they immediately realize, oh my God, I didn't I didn't get the record. Ah, I should have run faster in that last stretch. I could have run one second faster in that last little stretch, and I would have got it. <laughs> and I think the the reason why, well, you know, I'm not a really a runner and I don't know what runners would actually think, but my assumption would be that they would probably reflect on the very last part of the race and think, oh, I should have done better right then. Because the feedback was immediately following that. Right. And so you you tend to blame the things that are right before the feedback in the same way that, um, let's say like, oh, maybe this is kind of dark, but <laughs> say you, you get in a fight with someone, like say you're feeling really grumpy one day, you get in a fight with your friend, they storm off, leave the house, get in some freak accident. You will blame the fact that you got in a fight, that you were grumpy and you got in a fight. If you had not gotten in a fight, maybe that never would have happened and it's all your fault. When really you've known them for years and any tiny little thing that you've ever said to them or interacted with them 
could have made just as big of a difference. But just because it's so close to the feedback, yeah. you tend to blame that. And if you review the race, you could have found that, oh, maybe you stopped to tie your shoe or you stopped to wave at someone or maybe you didn't train for you know a certain section of that well enough or, or whatever it is. Right. But there's so many factors in it. But we tend to look at just the the last point or or I don't know, the most obvious ones yeah. most yeah. of the time. Yeah, same same problem with StarCraft, right? You play a 10 minute game, you lose, you tend to look at what was happening in nine yeah, minutes right and 55 seconds. Yeah, not what happened in the first minute or the first two minutes. In fact, I've had games where I'll I'll play it out, I'll lose, and I'll think, ah, oh, I just can't figure out how to beat this person and blah, 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 and man, this army is ridiculous. And then I'll get up, I'll go take a shower, and 10 minutes later I go, oh yeah, I remember doing this really stupid thing two minutes in that completely yeah. screwed me over. Like, oh, actually, that's why I lost. Like, it, it you'd get so disconnected from the different actions you take in terms of the result. Uh, yeah. So with the with the runner example, right? That I mean, I I imagine that most competitive runners are generally smart and they, yeah, you know, they think about these types of things. But what's interesting and the thing I wanted to talk about is. If, if there's a very direct connection between the thing that you do and the feedback that you get, meaning it's very short and it's very clear how I did this action and it led to a bad result, those types of things tend to be pretty easy to resolve. Like you said, if you touch a stove and it burned you, you tend to stop touching the stove. You don't really have to work up a plan for yourself of, okay, today I'm going to touch the stove less than I usually do. But eating, eating poorly that doesn't fit that category at all right like most yeah i mean it, it's almost the opposite you eat a pizza and you're like man it tastes good i like that awesome i had the same thought too. Yeah, yeah yeah this is a it's a simple example right but those are the types of things that tend to be much more difficult and so you have a game let's say chess right the only thing that matters in chess is if you checkmate your opponent's king or i mean there's some other rules around draws and stuff like that but for the most part you're trying to win the game it's not scored based on how many pieces you have left over, anything like that. The only thing that matters is you winning or losing or drawing. So nothing in a, in a certain sense, nothing you do in the game matters if you it results in a win or, or a loss, right? So it becomes very difficult. We've mentioned this before, but it's, it's really difficult to know if any given move is the right move or the wrong move uh, because you know, you, there might be 50 moves before you get to the end of the game. And then that kind of validates whatever you did or didn't do. So what you have to do in that situation is you have to build heuristics and ways of measuring things in the game that don't rely on just the outcome. So uh, right. for chess, we assign point values to each piece. You know, a pawn is one point or, you know, it's worth one uh a bishop and a rook is three, or I mean, a bishop and a knight is three, a rook is five, a queen is nine, and then the king is priceless, right? So you, we have these point values, and those aren't part of the game. The, the rules of chess don't say that this piece is worth this much, but you use that all the time as a way of trying to evaluate without having to think about the end of the game. Like if you trade your queen for two rooks, Technically, that's worthwhile because a rook is worth five points and a queen is worth nine. So if you got two, like it's one point lead, right? Like we we come up with these systems or ways of trying to create. Oh, I say this. It it's a heuristic. It's a way of evaluating a situation using a simpler system that isn't perfect and it doesn't really it doesn't truly reflect the actual outcome of the game, but it's good enough to make decisions you know, earlier on, right? Like if you trade your knight for a rook, that was bad because the rook is worth more points according to this arbitrary system that you've set up. But it gives you a way of evaluating that kind of thing. Right. You follow that? Well, and yeah. The way a lot of the things are set up in competitive games or, or anything, if you... Take StarCraft... It's almost, it's it's not left up to chance on who wins or, or chess or whatever. Yeah. It's not left up to chance. It's who played the best game or whatever. But whoever wins, it's not like this black and white 
thing. Um, it, but the the winning itself like naturally highlights certain, yeah, certain things. I'm having trouble explaining this, but well, I don't know. I lost my train of thought. No, I I kind of think I know where you're going. This is a bit of a hazy concept, but. With StarCraft, for example, the only thing that matters in the sense of a single game is the outcome. So if you win, you win, great. You you won. You can't win harder. You can't lose harder. It's either win or loss, period. Same with chess, same with most sports, right? But I can play a game of StarCraft, and I, and I, I specifically looked at this. I can make little mistakes at the start of the game. Small things that, that don't hugely affect the outcome of the game, but they there is some probability that me being somewhat inefficient at the beginning of the game can affect the outcome. But it's small, right? It's a it's a slight disadvantage. But I could still lean on my strengths and, and end up winning even though I didn't play perfectly optimally at the start of the game. And at a lower level of play, that's fine. Those little tiny mistakes don't add up to much. There's usually much bigger things that you're doing wrong, and so you tend to win or lose, and that's not the most important thing to pay attention to. But as you start to get to a higher and higher level, where you're playing against high-level opponents, and whoever, you know, those little bits of efficiency and those tiny little advantages actually start to matter a lot as you get closer and closer to the top, that starts to become a really big deal. But it's still very hard to recognize that, oh, there's this tiny inefficient thing that I'm doing, because the, the odds of that affecting the outcome of the game are so small. So what, what I'm saying, this thing that I've been thinking about, is that part of you being able to get good at something like a game like StarCraft is you have to develop the ability to analyze and apply these little heuristics and benchmarks and ways of evaluating these smaller states of the game without relying on just the outcome. I have to be able to look at any given moment in the game, like a fight, you know, I, I attack the opponent's base and then I move my army around and do these things and whatever. And I have to be able to evaluate that on its own without thinking about the entire game. I have to say, this was a good move, this worked out in my favor, or this wasn't a good move, or it could have been better, and so on. Right. What I was trying to say is that that last win is, you know, the one you get defined with. But you, in your mind, have to separate it out into all of these different... Yeah. win or lose scenarios. And you when you do that, when you're able to break it down into, you know, the beginning stages of the game, the the battle stage or you know, specific right. battle stages and, you know, whatever. There there's different uh sort of levels it moves through. And I do that with every painting that I have. I am given the prompt, I have an idea, and then I have to go through like the the thumbnailing stage, the the lighting stage, the drawing stage and the color stage and then the the final thing. And you have to make sure that you're in a different frame of mind for each one of those things. And that allows you to determine what's wrong or right in each of those stages. Yeah. So then you can move on to the next one. If the only thing you judge is whether or not the end product was good or not, you have really no way of knowing where it went wrong or, or right. what went wrong. So it's important to break things down into smaller pieces and treat them as wins or losses yeah. in those different stages. Um, so say if you lost stage three, when there was 10 stages, um, you would know, or at least that was a big problem area that you had, and you would know to go back and, and look at that. And that may have been the thing that cost you the game. Um, I yeah. don't know if that makes sense. But. No, it does. And I... The, the thing that I've been or playing StarCraft, in the past, I would tend to think of a game as a win or a loss, which is not a stupid right. way to think about it, right? That's what the game tells right. you. You won or you lost. You see the victory screen or the defeat screen. And so if I won a game, I would think, cool, I won that one. Great job. Time to go to the next one. If I lost, I try to find the reason why I lost, which, again, I don't think that's a stupid way to look at it. And looking at a loss and trying to figure out what the main reason for the loss is, is, is reasonable. But what I've started to learn is that if you play a 20-minute game, trying to find the single reason or identify the biggest reason why you won or lost is not actually a good way to progress in the game. Because, like with Beat Saber, where 
everybody who plays this game gets really good at it really fast because at any given moment in the game, you're being given feedback on whether or not you did the right thing or not. It's unbelievably effective. And I mean, there's other reasons why people get so good at this game. Uh, a lot of it is because you're you're able to scale the difficulty almost perfectly to where you're at, where you can always play a song that's just outside your reach. And there's a lot yeah. that set this up to be a really easy game to learn. But that feedback thing is what's really key. And in a sense, I'm pretty sure I could get really good at playing StarCraft if I played 100,000 games, even if I wasn't very efficient. Because that, you know, if I'm progressing at all, then I would in theory be pretty good at the end of 10,000 games. But I have X amount of time in a day. So really, I'm trying, in, in a very simple sense, I'm trying to be as efficient as possible in any given game that I play. I want to improve as many things as I can realistically. And so looking at a game that way as a win or a loss and trying to find the main reason why I lost is not actually the smartest way to do it. And what I've started to think is that even for a game that I won, if I have a very good way of measuring different states of the game, so at the very beginning, if, at exactly four minutes, I can try to look at everything that's happening in the game. I can watch the replay and pause it right there. I can look at the number of units I have, the amount of map presence, vision, how much I know about my opponent, uh, all kinds of little subtle things. And I can evaluate that based on what I know is the theoretical maximum of what I could achieve at that point. And then I can evaluate how good did I actually do for the first four minutes, regardless of whether the game turned out to be a win or a loss. Uh, and I can, if there's any flaws or anything, if there's anything that's less than perfect, I can try to figure out why and figure out how to fix those. And then I can look at the next four minutes of the game or the next two minutes of the game and come up with benchmarks and heuristics and ways of measuring, okay, how well is my army movement or, or how well did I move my army? How well did I do all these things? How are my upgrades? Things like that. And so it, it's given me a way of trying to think about this and evaluate it almost along this continuum. Uh, and it, it kind of feeds into the mental model idea, how if, if I'm able to design or think about these heuristics that show up throughout the game, I can start to evaluate and improve at any given moment while I'm playing, as long as I know exactly what it is I'm shooting for, without having to rely purely on win or loss as that point of feedback of, oh, I lost, I did bad, or I won, I did good. So it's pretty safe to say that you want instant feedback or very quick feedback and trying to develop a skill, right? right? Because if you can get the feedback right away, uh, you can improve pretty quickly yeah. because you're not left wondering what's right or wrong. So I think, and you just brought up the whole mental model thing. I shared this article with you or this little blog post with you about what's it called? Oh, the top-down prediction model, right? In the way that you see things. I don't know if you remember it or not. I might not but have read it. For a long time, scientists and really everybody just kind of thought about the way we see as we, we look at a whole scene and we kind of, our brains analyze it, come up with all this information, and then we understand what everything is. And that's just kind of how visual uh, processing works, is sort of what yep. we thought. But more and more, we're finding that that's not the way it works. That's only part of it. And the main form of, of processing or seeing things is that your mind predicts what it's going to see. And that's what you see first. And then you're your other part of processing comes in and starts analyzing things and they kind of match up against each other. Mm -hmm. And if anything doesn't line up, then you look at it and then you start processing it. And uh, as both of those are trying to line up, if things don't match up, right? Like if your prediction of what should be there versus what you're seeing is actually there, if they don't line up, that's when you start consciously analyzing it or mm -hmm. consciously trying to figure out what it is. And I think the, the same thing goes for, well, before I get into that, just to make sure you, you get it. Say like if you're walking through the, the forest or something, like if you're walking through the woods, because I, I went hiking today and I'm, okay. I was thinking about this and your brain just like if, if you look out just on the path and there's, there's trees everywhere, you don't really see the trees. Your brain just has like the symbol for, oh, there's... There's all of this foresty area, trees over there, grass, whatever, and there's nothing that important. And so that's what you're actually seeing. That's what you're, what's going on in your visual thinking, I guess. Yeah. And it's not until 
something uh, sticks out. Say if there was a red tree in the middle of all of these green, boring trees, what you predict to be there versus what you just observed to be there uh, clashes. Immediately, your eyes go straight to the, the red tree and think, what in the world is that doing there? Or, you know, because it, it flags itself as being unique or important. And then you must uh, direct your attention to that. So when we, when we do anything, I, I think it works pretty much the same way. Your mental model is that prediction. And then what actually happens is sort of your, uh, your observation or analytical side of your brain observing what's going on. And so while you're playing the game at any level, if you have a good idea of how things should work, uh, that's what you're trying to do. So you're predicting yeah. what should work. That's your mental model. Uh, and then as you're playing, what's happening is reality. And when, when they start clashing, um, that's your feedback. So yeah. you have prediction, uh, observation, and then when they clash, it's feedback or right. I think, right? Does that no, make sense? I, yeah, I think so. I have you ever have you ever had this happen where you're walking on the street or something? I can specifically remember this happening a few times. I'm looking down the street and I see this guy that's just standing there looking kind of ominous and creepy. Like just on a street corner. And I'm walking towards him and I'm like uh, so this this guy just doesn't look right. There's something wrong here, and I can feel myself getting a little bit like concerned, yeah. and I can't tell what it is. But there's something wrong with this guy, and I start getting closer. I'm like, uh, I'm coming up on him, and then go, oh, that's like a phone pole. That's just some yeah inanimate object. Yeah, but and then suddenly it flips, and my brain's like, yeah, duh, that's a phone pole. Look, it's just a phone pole. Look at the wires right. and everything around it. But for a while, I'm so convinced that it's some creepy dude leaning awkwardly and staring at me or something. Yeah. I just cannot get that out of my head. And then suddenly it, everything resolves perfectly. And I'm like, oh, that's a phone pole. That's yeah. what that feels like in that you're fitting everything in with this idea in your head or something. Yeah, your brain's trying to predict that there's a person there. Right. Because that's what visually it's coming off as but then as you get closer your observation like the the top up so from top down is your prediction and then from bottom up it's like actually seeing what's there right and they're not lining up they're not lining up and then all of a sudden it flips and right yeah and actually i was walking out of the grocery store and i was thinking about this and i'm seeing all of these people i mean there was there's like a hundred things going on there's people walking there's cars coming in and out stopping and yeah. people stopping and looking at me and i'm instantly like able to kind of i mean everyone does this this is how you're able to walk through traffic but your brain is predicting what's going mm -hmm. to happen and it's only when something falls outside of that prediction when you when the the red flag pops up and you go oh that car's going too fast or that person has a gun yeah. or something like those yeah. things right outside of the prediction pop up. So my mental model of how everything should work is, is at work there. And as long as everything is going according to that, everything's fine. Yeah. So when you're, when you're playing a game, your idea of how the game should be played at each stage, um, that's, you, you want that to be as perfect as possible mm -hmm. because as soon as things start, coming outside of perf uh, perfection um you want to feel like something's gone wrong right i guess i think there's two ideas here that i am interested in one i've been i play starcraft pretty seriously and that's been my my quest but i play shooters like overwatch or something pretty casually with friends but i've started to think about you know, how do you apply some of these ideas to a shooter like Overwatch? Because in general, there's not as much in terms of depth and understanding. It's much more mechanical skills. Anyway, I'm... I'm what I've watched pros play and their ability to aim, let's say they're playing a sniper, right? Their, their ability to shoot somebody in the face from a million miles away is incredible. I'm talking about a game here. And it 
your feeling when you watch that is, wow, they just have incredible reflexes. They're able to just move so precisely and see the tiniest little variation in pixels and everything. But I, I, because I started getting interested in this, I, I watched some videos, like instructional videos of people who are really good or high level players, even pros, and then discussing how you develop that kind of aim and that kind of reflex. And not that they don't have great reflexes and they have very precise control and things like that, but it seems to be the key thing that allows them to do that is that they are able to predict where the enemy is going to go. So if you're, there's, there's different kinds of aiming. One type is what's called tracking. So say you have like a machine gun or something that shoots continuously. If you're shooting a sniper rifle, you're trying to momentarily bring your cursor over top of an enemy and shoot. So that's, that's how a sniper rifle works. You don't need to hold it over them. You just need to hit them at one discrete moment. But if you're shooting something continuous, then you're trying to make sure that all your shots are landing on the opponent. So you're trying to keep your crosshair over the person as they move around. And so I've tried to do this and I'm very bad at it. I'm actually not that relative to my skill level. I'm pretty okay at the hit scan type things like with a sniper rifle. Because I, I understand what you're doing there. But with the continuous aiming... I'm pretty bad at that. I can never quite seem to keep it over the person. And listening to a, a pro discuss this, what really clicked with me is that he was saying that your reflexes don't really matter. If you're trying to continuously keep your cursor over, a, over the opponent, the only thing that actually matters is you predicting where they're going to go. Because if you're just reacting to where they move, then your cursor would just always be behind them. You know, you can't react right. instantly. So you the only way to keep it on top of them is to predict the motion of the opponent. So I've started to understand that prediction is one of the most key things in some of these very high level skills. You watch players of anything, sport, you know, you watch a tennis player, you watch video games, anything. It feels like they have these godlike reflexes, like they're almost precogs and they just know where it's going to go. But that's because they do know where things are going to go. You watch a soccer player, you know, like a goalie in a in soccer, right? And if somebody, it, when they take a penalty kick, you'll sometimes see them dive the wrong direction. You ever seen that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, and it seems really funny when you see that happen. Like the ball goes left and they go right. And you're like, whoa, that was pretty off. But that's because they know that they don't have time to respond. So they make their read based on the motions of the player and they try to predict where the ball is going to go and then they commit to either direction. And at, right. I think at a high level in any sport, that's almost exactly what is happening. You're playing tennis, they're there, they're able to get to the shot incredibly fast because they're predicting where it's going to go. And that, your ability to predict something depends on your mental model of understanding what's likely to happen and what your opponent is likely to do. In the same way that sometimes you can see your brain screw up where it sees a pole and it thinks it's a person and it starts resolving all the details around this idea that that, that pole is actually a person and they're being creepy or something. Like you, you fit all the details you have into this model inside of you and it hopefully, when it works correctly, allows you to make these kinds of predictions. Yeah. And I mean, I've found this in drawing a picture instead of just working and working and then at the end you step back look at the picture and think oh i did a good one or a bad one or yeah. whatever try and treat it throughout all of the stages that it goes through so you know for each drawing you have to think of a bunch of different things and kind of cycle through this whole process and now i'm realizing oh i need a really good idea of how the beginning process looks like yeah, uh, I need a really good idea of this, you know, third stage of the drawing or the painting. Like, what does that look like when someone really good does it? And so I've started trying to study how people who are really good do it well. And I think that's a key part to building that mental model or developing the skills to predict something. Is you really have to know how something is done correctly. Yeah. So if you're playing StarCraft, you have to know how someone really good would solve the same problem that you have. Yeah. At any given moment in the entire game. Yeah. Yeah. To me, this and was good. Oh, well, I was just going to, I think we take that for granted that 
almost, in, unless you are the number one top performer in whatever skill you have, someone else has already solved this problem that you're facing. Yeah. I mean, that almost sounds sad to say or something, but we take that for granted that almost all of the problems that we're facing have already been solved by someone. And all we really have to do is go find out how they solved it. I mean, that's very difficult to do, but, but that's it. Right. Have you ever seen like the, the videos of like the, the octopus that watches the other octopus solve the puzzle box? No, that's surely you've heard of it. Right. So like, an octopus only has to watch another octopus solve this puzzle and then they're able to do it. I don't know why I had to use octopus for an example, but people do the same thing. All you have to do is watch someone else solve something and then you can do it too, as long as you understand exactly what went into it. And so for every problem you face, the solution is simply finding someone else who has already solved it and figuring out what they did. I mean, that's a very difficult thing to do. Right. And, you know, it's like when I have to design something, like that's a very unique thing. Like no one's ever designed this thing that I'm trying to design. But all the same problems that I face have been dealt with by other people before. And if I can use those same tactics, then theoretically I should be able to apply it to this. Yeah, to me, the the big idea here that we're trying to articulate is that in order to execute really well on something this seems obvious but you need to be able to do every part of it very well right and the way you do that or what the ideal case what you want is to always have the most immediate feedback possible that's why certain things are much easier to progress at than others if you put a brand new person in front of or you give them a vr headset and have them play beat saber they i mean i've witnessed this they almost never get stuck they progress very quickly every time i've i've given this game to people who are in their 60s who have never played a video game before in their life and didn't even want to and then they just loved it and did great with it i mean it like it's so i've given this to little kids and everything they just get good at it because it's so immediate the feedback is so precise that at any given moment in the game, they always know what they're supposed to do. They don't need to build some elaborate mental model. There are exceptions to that. And there are certain places where people actually will get stuck and you do have to sort some things out. But for the most part, it's just this clear wide open runway of do this thing and they get good at it. You put somebody in front of Starcraft and in an hour, they hate you and they're mad that you did that to them and they never want to play it again because there isn't that at all. Or, yeah, or guitar. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. there, there's so many things that aren't obvious. You make a mistake and it's not clear why. There's a million things that go wrong in that situation. And that's just the nature of things. Some things are pretty easy to learn. Other things are very hard. And that is a very large part of the reason. And so if you're learning something hard or you're learning something that has hard elements to it, your goal is to try to make it as similar to Beat Saber as you can, where you are trying to, I mean, seriously, you're trying yeah, to set yeah. things up and you have to do this almost artificially in your mind and by developing heuristics and ways of analyzing it, but you're trying to make it feel like at any given moment, you know whether you did the right thing or not. You're trying to create this sense of immediate feedback for any given action. And that, in a way, we're almost restating what we have said before about this idea that you need a mental model. You know, you need to know what the right way to do it is and what isn't. But I think that's it's a bit of the why on why you want that is because you want every single action that you do when you're trying to execute on drawing or playing a game or playing guitar or anything. You want that feedback so that it everything resolves from the very start to the very end. This thing yeah, you doing. want to know at every moment yeah. if it's right or wrong, if you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. Yeah, that's and your you, goal. You can only, yeah, you can only do that if you know the, what the right thing right. is. And, and of I, course, it's very difficult to find right. out. Right. Well, it's an entire yeah. art form in and of itself. It's this thing that you have to study almost independently of the thing you're doing. We've given this example before, but that that is why uh, most high-level chess players spend a lot of time studying high level games and trying to predict every individual move. Because if you play chess 
and you rely on the win-loss of, oh, I played this game, I made a bunch of moves, not too sure about it, oh, eventually I lost, then that's not a very, you don't have a tight feedback loop that way. You know, move number seven, was that the best move or not? Hard to say, there was a ton of other moves and your opponent did some things and who knows what really made the difference. But if you're able to compare what you thought was the best move versus what some super high level chess player did, then you get that very immediate feedback of, nope, that wasn't the best move. Let's figure out why. And you can correct those, those mistakes. So you wind up forcing yourself into that way of thinking, or you're trying to create this environment where that happens when you're studying chess like that. And the interesting part to me is that that is sometimes that kind of happens just naturally or, or by when you play Beat Saber, that's just, that's how the game works. It's set up to where you get immediate feedback. Other games, other things you do, they're not right. set up that way at all. And that's just, that's just how it is. But you have to know that you're trying, if you, if you have one of the latter where it's not set up that way, you have to try and make it that way one way or another. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. One thing I want to bring up is that in, in peak, he talks about putting skill over knowledge and I, kind of couldn't agree more in the way that I've spent a lot of time reading art books and reading about all sorts of artists and reading about all kinds of things having to do with art. And yet I improved very little when yep. I was doing that because I was, when, when you learn something, when you gain knowledge, you it seems like you'll then be able to do it. So if you read something that's very insightful or whatever, you think, oh yeah, I'm totally gonna do that next time. And then you read the next thing and you just fill yeah. yourself with all this knowledge and then you go to do it and you you have gained no skill. Uh, and, and that's because when you learn the knowledge, you get no feedback on if you're applying it correctly or yeah, it depends on the knowledge, but I'll learn all sorts of facts about painting and whatever, but until I actually go to do it, I've, I've had no feedback. I've had no real world experience with it. And so I think a lot of people will focus on just gaining all of this knowledge uh, because it's, it's pain free to, to read a book. It's pain free to learn a bunch of stuff yeah. about whatever it is you want to do. But as soon as you start doing it, you have to deal with the painful feedback of where you're wrong and where you're right. Well, it's, it's also very tangible and it feels concrete. If you read a book and you go read Peak like we did, it's like, oh, we read a book. We're better now, right? right. We learned some yeah, stuff. Yeah, we're smart now. Yeah. yeah. And in reality, it gives you some ideas, but it not it doesn't make you better. Right. You're, it, it filters down into these very tiny things that you have to apply at a very granular level. It's very difficult and messy. And you have to really get into the weeds and figure that stuff out. In the book, I really should have reread this and I've totally forgotten it. But in the book, they did some study. I can't remember. But basically, they were trying to improve the numbers, I think, of surgeons or, or something uh, or, or doctors, like the, the numbers of successful diagnosing cancer, I think. It could have been that. No, I don't. Well, maybe There's I don't know. they're trying to improve the numbers of the the hospitals. Yeah. I, I don't know what numbers they're trying to make people better, whatever. Uh, and so what they did was they offered tons of lectures and courses. And, you know, you could just go and and sit through these lectures and learn all of this mm -hmm. knowledge. And then all of a sudden the numbers would go up. But what happened was that nothing changed, like nothing happened. All of this new knowledge just fell flat. It, it didn't make any difference because there was no way for them to really apply it right away. They weren't focused on skills. They were focused on just here, here's some knowledge, take it, and then, you know, figure out how to make use of it. Uh, they could have improved a whole lot more if they had focused on the skill building. So the actual mm -hmm. either simulation of a, of a procedure or simulation of a surgery or, or whatever it is, if you... I guess every time you, to make sure you're improving, you should be doing the thing itself. And then you should be reviewing that thing. And then you should be working on all the problems that you had with that thing. Yeah. 
you should not be trying to build this weird, vague knowledge uh, of some magical skill that you hope to develop one day. Uh, it, it should be very direct. You learn the knowledge, you go test it out. Did it work? No? Okay, don't do that again. <laughs> you know, try it a different yeah. way. To me, those those types of books, and I've I read Peak, I read The Art of Learning, and we've read lots of stuff, and looked at papers and things like that, listened to podcasts. To me, those those types of things can give you these very high-level ideas. They can convince you of certain ways of thinking and, and give you you know, really high level ideas. But ultimately what you're looking for is what you said. You're trying to develop a system where you know at any given moment whether you're doing the right thing or not. And you're trying to put yourself in the right state of mind, in the right environment to push yourself and evolve your skills and the things you do towards those right things. And in clarify your picture of what's right and what you know your your mental model and add detail to it and different branches and variations and things like that and it's very easy to get stuck in this mode of oh i'm gonna read another self-help book or i'm gonna go watch yeah. another lecture or even i mean nobody became a great nfl player by watching games on sunday evening you, know, you might understand certain things about football but doesn't mean a whole lot unless you're able to really evolve your detailed understanding of things and how to actually execute it. So, Yeah, I, your concept of things versus the reality of things are often extremely different. Yeah. So, well, I guess one last thing, unless you got anything else. I was, I, I don't want this, well, I hope it doesn't sound too, uh, inspirational or something but often we we come up with these huge goals or these huge plans or like i don't know we're out to win some giant award or achieve some huge thing like you know you came up with you know you want to be top 200 in starcraft or something mm -hmm. like from the outside that might seem like some huge thing or whatever but i know that at the end of the day you're just reviewing the last game you played and then working on the little things that came up and then you're trying to be better the next day. And that's really all you're focused on. Like the top 200 yeah. is just like a cool little goal to kind of keep you focused in a direction. But I know that you're very focused on the day to day. And I think, and, and I've gone from, you know, wanting to be some, you know, the best artist ever, you know, and always falling short of that. Or when I was writing music, I wanted to be like the best ever. And what it does is it it gives you this feedback separation of like mm -hmm. what you're doing today is not the thing like the thing is some far off thing in the future and only when you get to that point can you gain feedback or or something i don't know if that's super clear but what i have found recently is that like now i've i've just focused on drawing the skull and like that's it uh, six months ago, I was trying to learn a hundred different things and chasing all of them. And I, just because I had some weird, vague idea of being really good someday in the future. But I've found that if you just focus on these like day-to-day -day things, uh, trying to get that immediate feedback of what I did today, I get the feedback for it. And then I work on that the next day. And then I get the feedback for that. And I go to the next day. And it's really, it's narrowed my focus down to literally yeah. the things I just need to do today. And then tomorrow I got some new stuff to do. And I've progressed way faster that way uh, in comparison to thinking of these huge, like enormous goals, which I think is really weird. Yeah. Uh, because now I'm more likely to hit those types of goals, you know, like. No, I, I totally agree. In a, in a way you're, what you're ultimately trying to do is heighten your focus down into smaller and smaller little pieces where at any given moment in time, you know, if you're, you're you know what you're trying to do, you know what you're striving for. The goal thing that I want to be really good at this, I want to be able to draw yeah. the skeleton, something like that. It's just this, this giant direction, but it doesn't, you could set whatever goal you want. It doesn't matter. What matters is, how much time you can put into something and how efficiently you can use that time. And 
the I mean we've mostly we've been talking about that how how do you put time into something and make sure that it's really effective how do you get it as close to optimally effective as possible and I think that that is I mean that's a, a broad answer but that's the answer is you need to at any given second know what it is you're striving for and tighten that feedback loop to be as tiny as possible there was some guy in the comments months ago and he was talking about this book that like you know was his goal for years like he needs to write this book someday and i wish i could remember the comment exactly but i keep thinking about that because he hasn't written the book and he feels bad about not writing this book but i keep thinking about that and it's like are you writing every day like yeah have you if you can't turn it into this daily thing or or you know, almost daily thing or this regular practice where you're enjoying it and you, you enjoy the, the idea of just writing every day and then working on the things that you didn't get right the day before and turning into this day-to-day -day thing. I, I, to me, that, that's the only way to really accomplish it, I guess. I don't... I've, started, I've started reading Atomic Habits, which uh, a couple people suggested in the Discord. And I've only read a couple chapters, so I'm not going to review the whole thing or anything like that. But one of the author's ideas, which I like a lot, is that he's talking about that, how setting a goal doesn't actually matter. That doesn't do anything for you. I mean, it might give you a direction, but your, your goal isn't to become a famous musician. Your goal is to be a person who plays music every day and gets better at playing right. music every day. That's... The only thing that ultimately matters is that that day to day of you doing that thing. So essentially, you need to focus on the process. You have to set up your yes. set yourself up with a process that will eventually take you there. But that's all that matters is what you do every day. Now you can yeah. clench your fists and say, I'm going to write a book one day. It doesn't, you know, you have to. Your goal isn't to write a book one day. It's to start writing to be somebody who writes every day. Stephen King, one of the most or yeah, the yeah. most like notorious uh, writers of all time who's put out more books than, yeah. I don't know. He has an ungodly amount of books put out there. He says that he tries to write five pages a day and that's it. He just tries to get five good pages written a day. And, you know, yeah. it's not like some golden rule for everyone, but just the idea that he enjoys writing and he does it every day. And that's just what he focuses on. He doesn't focus on some giant goal of being yeah. the most, I don't know, the author with the most books out there or something, you know, I just thought that was interesting. All right. That's all I got. Anything else? Nope. That's it. All right. Well, cool. Thanks for hanging out, everybody. Uh, leave a comment. We love those. Come hang out in the discord. We've been having a good time in discord. Uh, you can also email us at the overanalyzers podcast at gmail.com. If you're on a podcast platform, we'd love a review, but we'll see you next week.